0: Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. This podcast is being released on Mother's Day weekend 2017. Coming up, excerpts of two conversations providing insight and encouragement for moms. First up, it's Heather Hopp, who discusses using the image of a medieval knight as a means to teach issues of character consistent with God's word. That's the theme of a book she's written. Then it's Kendra Smiley, who provides some encouragement for mothers based on a daily devotional book she has written. Also, Penny Nance of Concerned Women for America joined me recently to present a Christian view of womanhood. Some of her comments are ahead. And on this edition of The Intersection, it's a time of transition for students these days. Some are graduating from college into the next step. Erica Wrights of Senior Exit has been doing ministry to college students and provides some words of hope and instruction. Finally, the main character of Terry Blackstock's latest novel is on the run, and she's being pursued by someone who struggles with PTSD, which is also a component of her fugitive's life. You'll be hearing from the author coming up. This is The Intersection, of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Heather Hopp is an author and blogger and has written a book called Nights in Training, Ten Principles for Raising Honorable, Courageous, and Compassionate Boys, she spoke with me recently leading up to Mother's Day about some of the concepts she relates in that book. Here now is Heather Hopped.
1: I have three boys and I came from a family of all girls. And so boys were a little bit of culture shock. And as I really delved into wanting to understand my boys because I knew I wanted to raise them up in the spirit and admonition of the Lord. I wanted to raise up leaders. Um, but I quickly realized that we speak a different language. And so my goal as a parent, especially because for a while it was just my boys, I wanted to figure out how I could inspire them and how I could point them and give them a vision for what their life could look like. And so we were reading about knights at one point. This was about six years ago. And I decided my boys were waging sword battles all around me because that's what boys do. They find sticks or whatever, and, and they turn them into swords and they fight. And so they're waging battles, and I'm reading up going, okay, we are doing chivalry. And I was thinking chivalry was merely how a man treats a woman. And as I went and looked into what it was historically, I was blown away. It's an entire code of conduct. And I was inspired, especially if my boys are are battling around me. They want to emulate knights. They wanted to be the knight that they read about in the story. And I was inspired, and I said, you know what, we're going to start on knight training. And so we pulled out the little bow, and we had suction-cut bow and arrows. Um, at this time, my boys were six, four, and almost three. And so we had suction-cut bow and arrows, and we had foam swords. And so I said, we're going to do night training. And then I I printed off. Um, I took out, out of the 19 elements from uh, the historic code of chivalry, I took out 10 that were really applicable um, for children. And so I pulled those out, and I posted Posted up on the wall, and I said, Okay, we are doing night training, and this is the chivalry challenge. And they became so excited as I started reading through, you are going to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That what is, that's what a knight is called to do. And a knight obeys those who are in authority. And a knight stands up and takes a stand against injustice and evil, and they defend the weak and protect them. And as I started to unpack this, we started to explore what does that mean today? Where are examples of modern day nights? How can they, even in this season of boyhood, embody the heart and soul of a knight? And they, they caught the vision. And I quickly realized that I I had tapped into something and I was speaking their language. And that little boys, they want to have purpose. They want their life to matter and to mean something. And so I honed in on that and I started giving them meaningful work to do. I started complimenting them about the contribution they were making inside of our home. I would compliment them when they would be kind to that boy who was by himself at the park and looked lonely. And I said, you had a you know you were the night and you stepped in and you recognized that someone was lonely. And in that moment, they were feeling weak and you helped them feel strong and so they just we we started seeing these opportunities everywhere and it really radically changed the way my husband and I viewed these years of parenting we realized that we were rulers of our home realm and it was our job to train these up and coming children to one day rule their own realms, whether it's their home realm, to run their home well, or to be in the workplace or in their community. And so it really gave us purpose as, a, as parents, and then it gave our son's purpose and a reason to struggle through some of the difficult things of childhood, like learning how to obey and to respect authority.
0: Heather Hoppt here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website, Heatherhopped, that's H-A-U-P-T dot com. The intersection continues now with author, speaker, and media host Kendra Smiley, who provides some words of encouragement for mothers. Recently, she shared with me some material relative to her book, Mother of the Year, 365 Days of Encouragement for Devoted Moms. Here now is Kendra Smiley.
2: I was asked once, what what's the hardest time? What was the hardest time for you as a mother? And there were really two hard times. One was the beginning of it, because I am the baby of my family, and I didn't even babysit much. I thought it was a lot easier to mow lawns and lifeguard and things like that. Uh, and so it was tough when I got started. But... Through God's grace, I had a lot of help uh, through my girlfriends at church, through uh, my mother-in-law who lived close through, most of all, my husband, who is not the youngest in his family. That was a hard time. I loved it, but I wasn't very qualified. I guess what qualified me, Bob, was, was the love of these children as they came into this world. Now, the second hard time was when they grew up. Because now I'm obviously an empty nester. I remember when our oldest son was home for some kind of a break from college. He was just a freshman in college and, and so his brothers were still home, but he was on the phone and I heard him say, I don't know, I need to ask mom first. And it suddenly dawned on me that the word mom used to be my job description in his life. And now it was a term of endearment that I got to be his mom. But there were 18 years of, you know, working, working up to that term of endearment.
0: Mm, That's great. Well, tell me about what inspired you to write this. It's a devotional book. It's called Mother of the Year, 365 Devotionals. What inspired you to write it?
2: Well, first of all, motherhood, now you don't know this because you aren't one of these, but just trust me on this. It's exhausting. There's always something going on. I remember, you know, that thinking, oh, as soon as this, we get to this stage, it'll be easier. Well, it's different, but not necessarily easier. There's just other things going on all the time. And so I wanted to put in the hands of moms, uh, a book where I could join them on the adventure of motherhood, and they could be encouraged. And it didn't take, you know, forty-five minutes to read through it. it it's very typically read. Writ, it's written, excuse me, as far as it begins with a scripture verse. Then there's a story, a story uh, that lines up with that verse, and then a challenge. And when I was writing this book. I would imagine that I was sitting down at a table with one of my girlfriends, having a cup of tea, I was telling her this story, tying it into God's Word, and then the challenge, which is not the same challenge, by the way, every day of the week or every week uh, in this particular devotional, it's a different one, it's what I thought this imaginary friend needed at that time, so it's very much joining, I feel like it's I get the privilege of joining moms on this adventure of motherhood in a short amount of time, encouraging them for the day.
0: And, of course, all moms have different experiences along the motherhood journey. Do you find, in in writing the 365—that really does sound like a uh, lot—the 365 (laughs) different devotionals, did you find that perhaps one or two topics appeared more than others—
2: well, it's interesting because every month kind of is a different collection, a different topic. Uh, January it's a roller coaster ride all the way, you know, all the way through. One of my favorites, actually, uh, because let me go back just a minute. I have done a one-minute radio show for seventeen years, uh, so people are just now recognizing it. it. takes about that long when you only speak for one minute. And actually, I only speak for forty eight seconds. The other seconds of that minute are filled up with the intro and the outro, but I didn't talk all the time, not every day of the week, Monday through Friday was something about parenting or something I'd learned from a friend about what they were going through, but some of them were. And so I've kind of been doing this in a different form for years. Now, one of my favorites is when you get to June and that title for the whole month is teach your children to think long term. And I think that is incredibly important and I don't hear about that a lot. Uh, One of the devotionals in that day uh, was actually a story told to me by a friend of mine about something her 11-year-old son had said. He came home from school and said to his mom, you know mom, there's a fine line between fun and stupid. And i said to my friend holly wonder what in the world was going on at school today you know something had drawn his attention to someone who was thinking of crossing that line wow if we as moms moms can teach our children to think long term whenever possible so that they stay behind that fun that fine line between fun and stupid What an incredible gift that is. So that chapter, that month is just filled with all kinds of different encouragements to do just that, teach your kids to think long-term.
0: Kendra Smiley here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website, KendraSmiley.com. This is The Intersection podcast. Penny Young Nance, CEO and President of Concerned Women for America, discussed with me recently some elements of womanhood and women's issues from a Christian worldview perspective related to her book, Feisty and Feminine, a rallying cry for conservative women. From that conversation, this is Penny Nance.
3: You referred to the quote-unquote women's march, and I'm making air quotes when I say that, because there there was a group of women, a large swath of American women, who were not welcome at that march, Mm -hmm. and that was pro-life women. It was only a march for women who, in fact, we were specifically told not to come. Um, It was a march for women who had a problem with with uh, Donald Trump and wanted to see something different in the election. And unfortunately, elect for them, election has consequences. And fortunately for us, that one of the one of the outcomes of this election is a new empowerment for life. The March for Life and his words were prophetic and true. He said life is winning, and that's what's happening now, that's what's happening in this country. Our laws are shifting to be more in line with the, with public opinion, which is not in line whatsoever with the far leftist view that abortion should be legal at any time, at any point in um, a pregnancy, any number all paid for the taxpayer. They, people may not, not everyone will agree with me that life begins at conception, but they certainly don't agree with the left and, and others on this. Um, this the life issue is a very central and important point right now because this is really where the battleground lines are drawn. We are in a pitched battle on Capitol Hill right now trying to work to shift away money from big abortion. Planned Parenthood receives a half a billion, one half billion dollars a year in our tax money. They're the nation's largest abortion provider. They do one in every three or four in this country. They do a thousand abortions a day. This is just Planned Parenthood. And our money is going to help build them up and help them make them successful. And what we've said is, no, we can do better. In fact, let's instead shift that money away from Planned Parenthood to federally qualified health centers. And these are the the small community health centers all over this country that, by the way, outnumber Planned Parenthood clinics, 20 to 1, and they care for the whole woman, but they don't do abortion. We can care for poor women and not build up big abortion, the large abortion industrial complex in this country. And people are in line with that view, and that's what we've got to do. But it's a pitch battle because they are losing pa- power, and we're taking that, mm. that ground that was gained from them. So I would just say this is one of the key issues. And as a woman uh, who is a believer and understands that uh, life begins at conception and that God saw uh, each of us in our mother's womb and knitted us together, knitted our bones together and knew who we were before time, we have to fight this battle for life. And so I would just encourage your listeners to learn this issue, to be the esters of this generation, to prepare themselves. And that, by the way, Bob, that's what my book does. It's it's individual chapters on key, the toughest issues of our time that prepares women to speak truth to power, to speak truth in their classrooms uh, against a liberal professor, teaches them to speak truth in their Playgroup, or when they're bullied and and, and uh, you know told to be quiet by other voices, that instead they know what the truth is. They have the information. And they can intelligently engage in a kind and thoughtful and gracious way.
0: Penny Nance here on the intersection. Learn more through the website concernedwomen.org. This is The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the download center there marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection Podcast. Also, through that website, you can subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. You can get connected to video content as well. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Erica young Wrights works with the Coalition for Christian Outreach at Penn State University. She also serves as the director of Senior Exit, a one-year experience that prepares graduating college seniors for what comes next in their lives. In our recent conversation, she discussed some elements of her work, including the book she's written called After College, Navigating Transitions, Relationships, and Faith. This is Erica Wrights now.
4: I had a student one year who said, you know, I feel like I'm at the finish line with nowhere to go. Like, what is the next step? And I think um, big questions of calling, but also um, employment. Like, am I going to get a job after college and I just invested in this degree? Um, is it going to pan out in you know work in the world? Um, Huge questions about relationships and dating, um, family questions, how do I navigate my relationship with my parents and it's shifting? What if I'm moving back home and I don't want to? Um, maybe I'm moving back home because I don't have another option. Um, you know, finances, I think that's a top issue for students in college and out of college. Um, and then just big decisions, students are making so many big decisions during college. How do I, um, you know, know what's the right choice? Um, and then questions of just living out faith in a, in a complex world, um, in college and beyond.
0: Talk about what you see that parents necessarily need to go through during this season of their lives.
4: Sure, yeah. I, I mean, I, I am a parent, but my kids are very young. So um, I'm sure parents could, could weigh in, too, on things that they've done really well. But I'll, I, I can share what's been helpful to students, to college students. Um, I mean certainly for those who have young kids I think um, as they approach college to think about how do I leverage the college years to prepare for what comes next and um, we could talk more about that like how do you just I I think to get the book into anyone's hands early on and often is is a great thing but um, especially for parents who are trying to help students transition out um, you know there is sort of trending right now this idea of emerging adulthood and students delaying adulthood I think um, for parents who may be welcoming their student back into their, the, the home after graduation to make a game plan of is this a long-term thing or are we going to have a short-term plan on this? Um, helping them maybe consider paying rent, things like that that get them in the practice of becoming an adult. I think acknowledging that um, everyone is in a transition, even parents when students graduate and so there's a whole chapter de- dedicated to just navigating family stuff after college. Um, I think the best thing we can do is is help our our young kids and kids graduating uh, to to learn on their own to not uh, rescue at every turn. I know I, I want to rescue my young kids from oh that you're having a trouble with that, let me help you but um, my husband's wise to say let them figure it out, let them work it out and so allowing them to to navigate those challenges and come out the other end stronger rather than rescuing them in the midst of it and anything we can do to just um, encourage them to forge their own way, being there, allowing them to inform us when they do make major decisions, but also being supportive. Um, and if, if people of faith are listening, that um, our kids are not our own, to entrust them, if they want to do missions work, if they want to take an adventure after college to release them, easier said than done, but um, I think uh, allowing them to, to have that experience.
0: How does one integrate his or her faith into really making that job decision and recognizing that the job that God is calling them to have? And I think this goes really beyond just students' graduation from college.
4: We're all growing in our kind of theology of work, and I think some of us have a kind of impoverished view of what, you know, work is just sort of this necessary, necessary evil. I have to kind of get through it, but um, when we, we look at Scripture, God... Um, creates work as this good and beautiful thing and um, for students to approach it um, no matter what the job is um, you know students who do not go into full-time vocational ministry should be encouraged that every field matters that they're artists or entrepreneurs that god wants to use any field for kingdom good and to approach it with um, wow i can make a kingdom difference in whatever field if i'm using my gifts and um, building authentic relationships, and treating people with kindness, and having integrity in the workplace. I think um, all of those things play into how to approach that first job. And, and really, our, our approach to the first few days on the job can set the trajectory for you know how we approach the entire job. And so am I going to resist the gossip culture? Am I going to honor my work time by not checking social media? All those approaches to the workplace, I think those are ways of living out faith. Um, certainly we delight any time we have a chance to share faith verbally, but I think sometimes students are disappointed when they've had many chances in undergrad if they're really involved in a fellowship group and then um those opportunities aren't like happening every three hours or every three days at work, Um, that really it's about honoring God by doing the job that he gave you to do and then trusting that that's gonna garner influence in the workplace and opportunity to to share um, what God has done in your life.
0: Erica writes here on The Intersection, learn more through the website aftercollegetransition.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's author Terry Blackstock in our recent conversation, she shared about the concept and some of the themes that she relates in her most recent novel, *If I'm Found*, which deals with issues relative to faith struggles as well as PTSD. Here now is Terry Blackstock.
3: Dylan Roberts. Uh, he was in the army and he worked. For, he was uh, in the criminal investigations division, but uh, he was in a in an IED explosion that killed a lot of the people who were with him. Who he was close to, and for that reason, he has PTSD, and he's been discharged honorably, but he can't get a job because he's got this this disorder that he can't control, and he's a strong Christian, but his Christianity hasn't canceled out his suffering, and I think it's important to show that because that's the case for a lot of Christians, you know, who who have to deal with these problems, and. Um, recognizes in Casey that she probably has it as well, because she discovered her her father dead uh, when he when she was 12, and then has recently discovered her friend dead, and um, he starts to recognize that she probably has it, and it gives them something in common, and it's some, you know, it's the thing that kind of draws them together, and, um, you know, even he, at first, was her nemesis. He was the one chasing her and and her biggest threat.
0: Well, I wanted you to share just a bit about what you wanted to, or the message that you wanted to send by including this whole storyline of PTSD. What did you discover and what do you want people to know?
3: Well, you know, I was shocked when I started researching this because one in three returning veterans are diagnosed with PTSD, and there are 22 suicides of U.S. veterans every day. You know, that's just the veterans. You know, there are a lot of people across the population who also have it because of some traumatic event. And I just thought, you know, this is something that we really need to raise awareness for. And so I I got kind of passionate about it as I was writing about Dylan. And, um, you know, I. I've dug into some of the therapies they have and uh, some of the new technologies they're developing. But, you know, the bottom line is people need treatment and um, they don't necessarily need treatment with drugs because a lot of these people wind up with addiction problems. And so, you know, there are cognitive therapies that really help them, uh, but they have to seek it out.
0: And I think you made a great point earlier, Terry, that you have people that suffer from PTSD. They are people of faith. They are Christians. They have turned their lives over to Jesus Christ, and they have a tremendous struggle in this area. Talk about how you see that, that faith and PTSD can be... Be related, and faith can actually be applied. Trust in Christ to to actually helping to to mitigate the uh, the situation involving PTSD.
3: Being a Christian gives you a sense of purpose, and always helps, no matter what your affliction is. Just knowing that there's a purpose for it, uh, it always helps. But I want to, you know, to be careful not to make it sound like I think uh, Christianity will just solve that issue because it's a brain problem. It's something that, you know, that a Christian person who's afflicted with it cannot control, they'll have flashbacks, they'll have night terrors, they have trouble with relationships, they can't hold a job, their attention spans are shorter. Um, And it's, it's a serious affliction that needs treatment. And of course, you know, they feel better when they have a purpose and they, they can pray, and God will help them, of course, you know, but he doesn't always weigh all of our, our uh, problems. And so I just wanted to show how Dylan handles it, and he handles it the best he can by going about his purpose, you know, serving his purpose, and even when that means risking his life, you know. And both of them are heroes in other people's lives, but not in their own. Mm. You know, and so um, I just wanted to show the journey really, and then you know, have them discover each other, and they sort of help each other, fill in the gaps and um, but that's that's uh, not going to tie up until the third book. I don't want to give too much away on that, but yeah. uh, I will say there's more romance in book two, and if I'm found. And um, I think my readers will like where this is going.
0: Terry Blackstock here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website, terry, T E R R I, Blackstock.com. Well, that just about does it for this edition of The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. The website address, again, is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to faithradio.org and click over to the programming section. When you visit the Meeting House homepage, you will see a link marked Meeting House On Demand. That takes you to the Download Center. You can also find out more about the Intersection podcast. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. The other is The Three, including three stories of relevance to the Christian community. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. You can get connected to video content as well. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection. I'm Bob Crittenden.